0: Welcome to the Outdoor U Podcast. Hi everybody and welcome to episode four, Waterfowl 101. I am your host Rob. I want to thank you for listening. Don't forget to check us out on Facebook at Outdoor U, that's the letter U, and give us a follow and stay informed on our up and coming podcast and to just interact about our different passions of the outdoors. Joining me today is not only a diehard duck and goose hunter, but a very, very dear friend of mine. This gentleman uh, and I went to high school together. We played football together. Hell, we were even, one year we were even locker partners, and I'm I'm not talking in the locker room for football. I'm talking about in the hallways where you had to go to your lockers in between each class um but I want to welcome in my dear friend Randy. Randy, welcome to Outdoor You, my friend. Hey,
1: thanks for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Dude, knowing with that being said and knowing you as long as good and you know, we're we're going to show our age here, but you know, we we've been out of high school now for <laughs> 30 plus years and but knowing you um and and going back there there's there's two things that I that I knew about you right off the get-go and that I always remembered about you. One is your passion for golf. And then your other yeah. one was obviously the passion for water for, for duck, especially duck hunting. And when I started this this whole outdoor you podcast and, and wanting to cover all the gamuts, even though I've never I've never duck hunted a day in my life, I've, I don't know a single, Thing about it, that's why I'm kind of calling this uh, Waterfall 101, because okay. I, w- I want you to talk to me and our listeners, Is if, if this is reaching out to anybody that's thinking about it, because I, I do want to experience, I just, I, I want to try everything, and that's definitely on my bucket list of things that I want to do, um, but uh, I guess we're going to, I guess I'll start off by just asking, I know the answer to this question, but... What got you into waterfowl hunting,
1: well, just like my love of golf, like you talked about earlier, um, all of it came from my father absolutely um, My love for the outdoors is how my dad and I connected, so everything from fishing to rabbit hunting to duck hunting um even helped me deer hunt a little bit when I was a kid and I didn't I don't do much deer hunting anymore. But he even helped me do that. So everything that you know heck, even my woodworking, as you know, my uh father was an industrial arts teacher, so every call that I make is a little piece of my dad going out with it.
0: Absolutely. I, I miss Rudy. I mean I obviously it goes without saying that you do, but Rudy was Rudy Sesko was, was a unique individual, and he was one of the best. Well, thank you. I appreciate that, and I couldn't agree more. Yeah, and, you, and you also mentioned golf. I remember he was, a, he was also a golf instructor down in, in Plymouth, Indiana, right?
1: Yep. He was a high school golf, golf coach for 18 years. And then when he retired from teaching, he went and became the, uh, one of the lead instructors at the Golf Academy in Plymouth.
0: Just on a side note, and this has nothing to do with duck hunting, but just another background on, on Randy and I is, is not only did we, I, I also remember Randy and I kind of connected like a lot of pre practices. Randy was our was our punter and our play. Not only was he, Randy's a big guy. He's he was one of our our star offensive linemen, but he also had a hell of a foot. He was our punter. He was our place kicker. And there was a that couple of years. I, I was pretty much I I'd go out there with him uh, before practice, and I'd be your I'd be your placeholder.
1: Yeah, I remember that.
0: Yeah, and then sometimes we'd screw around, and old Myron would be up in the press box and spying on us, and we wouldn't even know it. (laughs) He he had eyes in the back of his head. Yes, he did. Um, (laughs) But another thing that uh, Randy and I have in common, too, we're also both uh, diehard Notre Dame fans, and um, three of my most memorable Notre Dame game, I mean, I've been to a lot. But, obviously, the very first game that I ever went to that my dad took me, uh, the first game I took my son to. But I also, uh, you and I, if you remember this, we, um, we confiscated a couple of student IDs, and we used some fake student IDs and got to sit in the student body section at a Stanford game.
1: Yes, I do remember that. That was, that was the most fun I've ever had at a Notre Dame game.
0: That was an experience. I mean, it there's being at a college football game and then there's being at a college football game amongst the student body. Holy cow, especially yes. at a place like Notre Dame.
1: Yeah, that was that was absolutely nuts. <laughs> I do remember that. But getting had to ba- go into the dorm room and yes. and get the tickets and steal somebody's IDs and <laughs> <laughs> Got checked and they didn't say anything about it.
0: <laughs> That's crazy. But getting back to duck, uh, duck hunting, and 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 we may talk a little bit about goose as well. But the uniqueness, I think, of of duck hunting and waterfowl is that you know, especially from my perspective as as a deer, I'm obviously I'm on the opposite side of the spectrum of you. I, I am a diehard deer hunter. I've been that. My dad got me in that when I was probably 11, 12 years old. And so I've grown up to where, and and I've become a very avid turkey hunter as well. But there's a uniqueness to duck hunting because in deer, and, and sometimes even turkey where you don't necessarily, obviously using calls and decoys all work in both in the deer and turkey world. But you can... Just go sit in the woods, and it, it's all about being at the right place at the right time simply, you know, sitting in the woods. You you can just go pop a squat by a tree, and if you're at the right place at the right time, you might have a 12-point a, a buck come walking by and give you a shot, and you didn't do a damn thing. Mm-hmm. I think it's a little bit more work involved with duck hunting. It There
1: you can you can do as much or as little to help out your success as you want just like deer hunting you guys go out and you set trail cams and you do a bunch of scouting and stuff like that us duck hunters are no different except for the trail cam part <laughs> we just put a lot of we just put a lot of miles on a vehicle and drive around to different lakes and look at all the uh, farm ponds and or fields and we just do our homework and that's what you got to do to be successful to hunt
0: what are the i mean when is, when is when are duck and goose seasons i mean when are you actually legally allowed to go out and and hunt well, in the state of
1: Indiana, it's usually mid-October through the beginning of December, and then we have a two-week break, and then the last week of December, um, during Christmas through New Year's, is the actual duck season.
0: And as an avid whitetail hunter, I I definitely know when duck season. And I should I I guess I kind of asked that for the audience because. I know that as a duck or as a deer hunter, because obviously if you're sitting out in your tree stand on a quiet morning and you're near any type of, of water, you're, you're going to hear, you're going to hear the guns blazing and you're like, yep, it's opening oh, yeah. day, it's opening day of, of duck season. <laughs> you bet. Everybody's trying to get their shots in. Now my, I guess my next question too, Randy would be then, obviously when, when you think of ducks, you think of the traditional ones um, and it, with the mallards and what, but you also have like wood ducks. I mean, now is there, is there seasons and license for each species or, I mean, is it all kind of like if, can you hunt both a mallard and a wood duck all with like in the same season with the same license?
1: Yes, you sure can. Yeah. Um, There is a early teal season that coincides or is right after the early goose season in September I don't hunt I don't hunt a lot uh, during the early season just because I don't have time it's our busy time at the marina but um, yeah the uh, when we're in our October season we we can shoot up to uh, six ducks And then, depending on which species you're harvesting, depends on how many you can you can keep. For for like for example, uh, mallards, you're only allowed four mallards each time. You two of them can be hens.
0: So, like a turkey, a female's a hen, and then a, a male's obviously yep. a mallard versus a tom. So that I, I just learned that too. I wasn't quite a thousand percent sure what a female duck was called. Um, the yep. difference too, and, and I ask about wood ducks because I I hunt my deer hunting property. I have a lot of swampland, and that thing is just in the fall is just loaded, loaded with wood with wood ducks. And so on a quiet. Well, thanks for telling me that. <laughs> On a quiet October morning, it's just sometimes it's like, oh, my God, I, you know, I'm sitting here. I'm trying to hear for deer movement, maybe, you know, whether it's a buck grunt or whatever. I'm, I'm trying to, like, listen to the woods from a deer perspective. And these freaking wood ducks taking, taking off landing and just going ballistic. It's like literally sometimes from an audible standpoint, it's maddening. I mean, it's that many. But they come, like. December, no, late November, they're gone. They they they're, check. they're a
1: warm weather duck.
0: Yes, versus now mallard yep. mallards. They pretty much they they kind of hang around this area. Am I right year round, or do they migrate as well?
1: Uh, <laughs> what? Here's here's my take on north North Central Indiana duck hunting. This area of the country is in a Bermuda Triangle esque. um, If you get, you understand what I'm talking about. Yes. There is a tremendous void because we are on the easternmost edge of the Mississippi Flyway and we're on the western edge
0: of. The Atlantic Flyway. Just tell a little bit more about this flyway. Describe that. What it? What is that?
1: Okay, there, it's basically a highway for ducks. It's like Interstate
0: seventy five one hundred
1: one, or whatever you want to call it, like I seventy five. If you
0: want to go to Florida.
1: Yes, it's it, the I seventy five. There's four major um, flyways in this country. The Atlantic Flyway the Mississippi Flyway, the Central Flyway, and the Pacific Flyway. So we are right in the middle between two flyways. So the only way that we get birds here in North Central Indiana is if Michigan gets a lot of snow and their water freezes up. Correct. So... There are ducks out there that will migrate because that's what they've been bred to do. And there's other ducks that are just playing lazy and they said, "Hey, if I got access to food and water, I'm not moving."
0: So they so don't have to. So that kind of answers my question. They, a lot of ducks, they will migrate towards more of open water versus temperature.
1: Um, some, yes. Yeah, some ducks are like that. Now, if you were to go over to the Mississippi River during duck season, you will will absolutely, your jaw will hit the floor looking up at the sky and seeing wave after wave after wave of ducks and or geese flying southward. It's absolutely mind-boggling to think that there's that many birds traveling thousands of miles from Canada, northern Canada, and going to their wintering grounds down in Arkansas and Louisiana and sometimes uh, northern part of South America.
0: Wow. Now, Let's talk goose real quick. Obviously, goose is is more. That's a whole different animal. I mean, literally. But I'm talking from from a uh, from a hunting standpoint. Okay. So so talk to us about that as far as, um, I mean, because like right now I think there there's a lot of the goose hunters are like active like right right now as we speak. Correct here in February. I know I've got a friend uh, the of mine. Season that's, ended. Oh, go ahead. I, I've got a friend of mine right now that I've had on podcast before. He's currently in Illinois snow goose hunting.
1: Yes. Well, there's a difference between dark geese and light geese. Um, dark geese are your Canada's, and there's like 12 different subspecies of those critters. Um, the light geese are your speckle bellies, your snows. And uh, and I'm not too versed on those at all, but yes, they are. They have a separate um, conservation season on them, and I think that's starting if it hasn't started already. And they are able to hunt them as they travel back northward to
0: their breeding grounds. So. Getting back to duck, what a typical setup, obviously you can go at it two ways. You can either go via like walking in off land on foot or obviously also get into a, um, using of a boat of some sort, which is what what's, is it kind of a 50, 50 or do you lean one way more towards one towards the other? Um, it's really a personal preference.
1: Um. For me, I don't have a lot of private ground to hunt, so I'm basically in a boat every time I go hunting, but guys that have access to private ground, um, and and that private ground may have water on it, or it might be just a a cornfield that birds are going into to feed, so I guess it's really a you know, preference on how somebody wants to hunt.
0: Yeah, I mean, and going back to like with the wood ducks, I mean, I would love to hunt them. And obviously I, I have a hot bed, but the last thing I want to do in mid-October is go on there with shotguns a-blazing, you know, in, in my swampland, which is also the core bedding area of, you know, where my, my core target bucks are at. Right. So that that's kind of a that's kind of where I, that's why I really I really wish that we would actually have like like geese geeses now where we would have kind of like a a late, a late late season like in the first of the year season for ducks of course I think come January the, like I said those wood ducks are long gone um so it's it's kind of pointless or vice versa yeah. even, I wouldn't even say I'm so anal with with deer hunting that even if they had like say a summer hunt I, I, I wouldn't touch it because <laughs> I'm the, you know, I, I don't want that area perturbed. Um, no.
1: And, and that's what a lot of them run into is that a lot of the property that holds birds is also leased out for, or the hunt or the landowner hunts deer out there. Right. And it's just not a good combination for the exact reason you just mentioned.
0: Yeah. I, I had a gentleman on my lease with me one year, and he was wanting to do it bad. I'm like, dude, there, there's no way. And I said, unless you can be really good with a bow and arrow or a crossbow, go for it. Yep. So um, we kind of talked about the, – they kind of always say that, that duck hunting is kind of the rich man's game because, obviously, there, there's a lot of equipment, and especially with the decoys, which can get quite salty from what I've been told. Um, do you use a lot of decoys? Is it necessary? I mean, how much of a, how critical is it with the use of decoys? It's, it's
1: part of the, it's part of your, uh, we'll we'll, uh, put this into, to, uh, deer hunting terms. It's part of the arrow in your quiver. Um, the combination of decoys calling and your hide will be pretty much a result of your harvest now you don't have to go out and spend and buy top of the line duck decoys duck decoys are kind of like fishing lures for fishermen what looks good to one guy it doesn't look good to the next So um, when I go hunting, it's, I I kind of, again, I'm going to use another fishing term. I match the hatch. So if I'm seeing a lot of ducks, I will put out a lot of decoys. If I'm seeing more mallards than I am divers, I will use more mallard or puddle duck decoys. And then vice versa, if I'm seeing more diver ducks, then I'll use paper decoys versus puddle duck decoys. So I'm basically set up for about any situation um, decoy-wise when it comes to hunting on, on water that you can imagine.
0: Now, with the use of decoys, when you talk deer or even turkey hunting, because it's really the same thing, you're, you're, you're doing one of two things. You're either mimicking a female that, you know, from, from a mating breeding standpoint, or you're wanting to represent and imitate a challenging male, male object. Um, or in Turkey hunting and yes. Turkey hunting, you're, you're combining a lot of times you're combining both with both a Tom and a hen do, decoy out with yep. how, how does it, how does the decoys, what, what is the strategy? How does this relate in the duck hunting to I mean, is it is it the same thing? Is it from a mating standpoint, or is it just a, like a social gathering? Um, lure is, are they are they coming um, into are they coming into the decoys just for for so to be social, or is it from a mating standpoint? Not mating. They um,
1: ducks mate in the springtime, and just like a a, a buck and deer. Um, They're not monogamous. So um, during, during hunting season, it's a, like you said, a social thing and also a comfort thing. So kind of a philosophy is comfort in numbers. So some guys put out a lot of decoys when they go duck hunting. Some guys don't put out that many at all. Just depending on, again, the situation where you're hunting. Um, If you're seeing a lot of birds, then we typically put out a lot of decoys. If you're not seeing very many birds,
0: you may hunt with a half a dozen duck decoys. Who knows? How much of it? also depends is it whether you're a hunting on a lake per se a, a pretty wide open area versus swampland that's got a lot of woods around it obviously that has to be has a heavy you know detail on, on the on the decoy play correct
1: yes um usually when we hunt big water we use a lot of decoys um small water a small amount of decoys in the water and then some maybe some full bodies up on shore, or if you're hunting a swamp, um, it might just be, you know, what you can fit in your in your kill hole, if you will.
0: I mean, yeah, because me turkey hunting, I mean, my decoys, It's if, if I'm hunting on an open field, decoys all day long. But I've here lately in the last couple of years, if I hunt in the woods, I don't even bring my decoys out with me. Um, yeah, I just basically just sit and pop a squat next to a tree, or or even set up in a ground blind if I know I'm I'm near a, a decent roosting area for you know if I'm hunting at daybreak and I just call. Um, mm-hmm. But definitely with open fields, you know, I'm using decoys all day. Yeah. So, so let's just set us up for like a, a traditional. If if you can do your traditional duck hunt from start to finish you roll out of your garage you come up let's go i mean just walk us through from kind of like a start to finish or you know all right um yeah it's O dark 30
1: back the truck up up to the garage and hook the boat up to your your boat drive to the boat launch meet your meet your companions at with for the day and load the boat up with all your your gear and coffee and (laughs)
0: snacks (laughs) yeah because thankfully you don't you don't have to play the scent game uh during duck hunting no which that no no dopey that's a beautiful thing well or even that or you don't have to worry about what you smell like is you know no you don't have to worry about covering up your scent you don't have you like you just said you can bring all the food and and coffee and beverages out you want Yes, and
1: um, sometimes you know you you really don't even care if your buddies think you smell. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, it's it's get up early, get to the boat launch, um, and I hate to be beaten to a spot that I want uh, that I have planned on hunting. So I will get there early. And I just probably ruined it for next year because all the people listening to this are going to beat me to the place I want to go hunting. But uh, um, we get there early. We get we get the decoys set up. Probably, you know, my guys that I go out and we hunt with, we put out quite a few decoys because we usually hunt big water. So we need to be seen. Um. So we get the decoy set. Usually takes us uh, 45 minutes to an hour to get everything out of the boat and in the water. So now we got maybe an hour or 45 minutes left to, till shooting light. And now you're you're getting the blind ready in the boat, getting things set up. In, in your boat so you can maneuver around a little bit. And then uh, then maybe have time enough for a cup of coffee and a snack before shooting time comes. And then we just play a waiting game, see which birds like to come and say hello or
0: which birds give you the, the middle feather. When you say shooting time is, I mean – when is legal shooting time for ducks? Is it right at daybreak or is it like, you know, deer where it's like a half hour after, you know, when is official time, shooting time that you can actually pull the trigger? Uh, a half hour before sunrise. Okay. To sunset. And and our ducks pretty much kind of, I mean, like turkeys, they're, they're kind of lazy. They They sleep in a little bit. I mean, they're not on the ground right at daybreaks. Occasionally they are, but it's kind of rare. I mean, normally, like sometimes if you're running late and you get out there at the at the crack of light and you're thinking, "Oh crap!" I mean, granted, it depends on what situation you're going into. If you're going to walk into an area where the turkeys are roosted, you're obviously going to to be seen by them and ruin everything. Um, but if you're if you're kind of in a transition zone, you, a lot of times you can get away with it because, you know, I've noticed either from turkey hunting and also during deer season. You know, it's it's a good I'm going to say it's a good half half hour to 45 minutes, sometimes even an hour after daybreak before them turkeys come down off the roost. Are they are ducks active immediately at the crack of light or are they kind of similar with turkey where it takes them a little bit to get to get going?
1: I'm going to answer that with they are as unpredictable <laughs> as the weather. I mean, I've had ducks in my decoys a half hour before shooting light. And they'll mill around in your decoys and chatter back and forth between them. And five or three minutes or two minutes or 30 seconds before shooting light, they take off. Um, And then we've seen birds move. Birds typically move around all day but they're on a, different ducks are on a different schedule. So sometimes you'll get ducks leave early in the morning, they'll go out in the field and feed, and then they'll come back to water, you know, 8, 9, 10 o'clock. Um, and then you just get the ones that'll not go feed, and they'll just mill around the lake all day.
0: Is it pretty much a morning thing? Or, I mean, is it, is what, what's the success rate for hunting like evenings? Um, Mainly, I'm going to say
1: 90, 95% of your guys are going to. Morning. Um, I am going to, next year, I'm going to switch it up and I'm going to hunt some afternoons into the evening just to see if it's any different. I haven't done a lot of that in the past. And to be quite honest with you, it can't be any worse than some morning hunts. Because sometimes you just don't see or even have an opportunity to even shoulder a gun on ducks in the morning. You may see them, but they don't come close enough.
0: Oh, yeah. It's just kind of crazy how, even though it's it's so different, but yet, in some areas it's so similar. With turkey, with any animal, I mean, it's just they're all they all each have their own have their mind of their own, for sure. Yeah. From a calling standpoint, um, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say.
1: I think this is a point that needs to be brought up, and more people need to be aware of. Is, is hunting etiquette? Um, you know when you've got a lot of people hunting on like any given body of water, and let's just say there's four groups out on a lake the size of of uh, Dewar, which isn't all that big because there's not a I mean there's not a lot of places to, to hide. And you've got some guys that are shooting at birds that are way outside the range of a shotgun. They're shooting at birds that are, um, so tall that you need an anti-aircraft gun just to hit, hit one. If you go know what I mean.
0: Or a recent aircraft um, from Alaska.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, Those guys that do that, they're doing nothing but spoiling everybody else's hunt, including theirs, in the future, because they're educating birds. They see decoys on the water. They're supposed to be mimicking live birds. But when you're shooting at birds that are way out of your range and the capabilities of, which is a 12-gauge or 10-gauge, is the maximum gauge that you can shoot at at any duck? You're just educating these birds not to decoy anymore. And I see a big issue with that when people are doing that because they're ruining everybody else's hunt. And being a conservationist is part of They're not being taught to be conservationists because you, you and I both know that to put a clean kill shot on any animal is the most humane thing to do as a hunter. Absolutely. And I hate seeing birds get wounded because of somebody taking a pot shot at any bird or any animal and not hitting it and killing it um, you know, and, and trying to work somebody else's birds that they're working their spread by trying to call louder and harder and faster than the next guy. Hunting etiquette is, is so important in our sport because it is a gentleman's sport.
0: You know, and I'm glad, Um, I'm glad you brought that up too, Randy, because also too, you know, I, I keep hating referring back to deer or even turkey hunting but for the deer and turkey hunters out there I mean I'm going to say 70 percent of us we have our own land we have our own spot whether it's it's ours or we have permission to or we lease it what have you to where we don't have to share it um with people Mm -hmm. granted you you if you're if you don't have that privilege and you got to go on public land um then we're kind of getting that parameter but that's a, another I guess a unique thing about duck hunting is it's it's quite the opposite to where I got to say 70 75% of of you, of the duck hunters you're you're in you're in the public where every, it's free game for everybody.
1: Yeah, you're at the mercy of where you can hunt. And when these guys are shooting at birds that are 80 and 100 yards away the chances of them killing a bird or knocking a bird down is slim and none. And to kill a bird at that distance, the none just left the left the state of Indiana, or wherever you're hunting. On a consistent basis, there are some instances that you could do that. But in my mind as a duck hunter I'm out there trying to fool mother nature and if I've got birds working me my ideal shot is with them with their feet down just about to tickle their toes on the water landing in in my decoys and if they're in my decoys they're within 40 yards because I don't put many decoys outside my effective kill zone for that purpose. I want those birds as close as I can get them so that I can harvest them cleanly.
0: That's a great point. I mean, you know, same, same in Turkey. You don't, you don't set your Turkey decoys 50 to 70 yards away from me. You normally got them right there within 10 yards in front of you.
1: Mm hmm.
0: Yep. You know, you know right. I, I, I blame a lot
1: of the, of that on people just not being taught the correct way to do things. I think we lose track of that and take things for granted that we shouldn't.
0: You've been duck hunting practically your whole life. Have you seen, what are the numbers that you deal with? I mean, are there more or less today than, say, when you were a teenager, when you kind of really got into it? I'm going to say there's less birds around here. So, therefore, less hunters. Void of a, huh? So, I I was referring to that from the hunting standpoint, like, how many people oh. do you, do you are there? You think there are more duck hunters out today versus there were you know thirty years ago when we were teenagers, or or the opposite?
1: Uh there's there's a, a lot more.
0: Yeah. But you think a yep, lot more me. hunters with a lot less birds than there was?
1: Yes. Yes. Because I mean, when when we were when we were in high school and I would go hunting it was not uncommon to shoot a limit of birds on a consistent basis. So Because we, when we hunted back then is the way I hunt now is I try to get birds inside the effective kill zone. Um, and it was easy to do because there wasn't the pressure that there is now and hunting pressure has made guys try to kill birds further away because the birds aren't coming as close as they used to But if you have a good hide and you've got a good spread and you do a good job of of calling, knowing when to call, what notes to make, how to call to
0: a bird and do that, you're going to be successful. You just segued right into my next topic, which is obviously something that I know you can talk about for well over an hour. You can dedicate an entire podcast strictly to just strictly calling, but let's kind of condense it down as to the basis of calling how long did it take you how long did it take you to learn to master of course i don't think you probably never master it you you can always you know modify and and always get better always get better just talk to us about calling from from what type of calls what they're doing what you're trying to represent or simulate yeah. um i'm kind
1: of a minimalist when it comes to calling I, I try to read the birds the best I can to see what they want to hear. So that first half hour, 45 minutes to an hour of flight in the morning, you're just trying to figure out what birds want to want to hear. Do they want you to be soft and quiet or loud and aggressive or somewhere in between? Um, First thing I try to do when I see birds is that I just try to get their attention. Let them know that there's birds over here that you can come play with, and uh, get their attention so they are. Oh, what I want to say here? Just like I said, just get their attention, and then once you have their attention, you just try to keep it keep them locked in on your decoys. Sound like a couple, three different birds while while you're, they're coming in. You get excited a little bit sometimes um, with your calling. Just like when you get excited at a football game, you know, you're a little bit louder. Your notes are a little shorter, a little, little faster. Um, and that's all part of just trying to read the bird as he's flying towards him sometimes if you get too fast or too quick and too high pitched notes he's going to veer off and say oh that doesn't sound normal to me okay again due to the hunting pressure he's heard that before because just for instance just think about a duck that started its migration up in canada how many duck decoys? How many blinds? <laughs> how many duck calls has that bird seen by the time it's getting to northern Indiana?
0: That, Thousands. That's a great point. So well educated. Exactly.
1: That you're, we're dealing with a bunch of well educated birds, whether it's um, local birds that we hunt typically hunt here all year round or all season or if we get the migrators um, they've seen thousands of different decoy spreads hundreds of thousands of different calls and hundreds of different blind setups
0: so they get wise they're not stupid you know and I think too I mean again the uniqueness of duck and waterfowl is pretty much any other species when, when a calling is involved. It's normally a lure of whether it's from a mating standpoint or a, an aggression standpoint um, to where this just seems to me like it's a lot harder where you're just trying to, you're basically just trying to to, to socialize versus lure. Yes. Yes, and to me that seems like it would almost be more a a, a more of a challenge versus a, a luring type approach. Right now,
1: right now, the the geese around here are showing signs of um, breeding season. They are very talkative. Um, now, geese are different than ducks is that they do mate for life. So, usually when you see a pair flying together, that's the male and the female. And they're going to um, stay
0: together for their their life, life span.
1: Correct. Yes. So, if I were to take a goose call down to the lake right now, the geese that haven't found a mate yet so those are your birds that are one maybe two years old that haven't found a mate yet are looking for, for a mate those are easy ones to get close enough that if you wanted to shoot them you could or if it was legal to shoot them you could because um, right now at the marina at the lake there are oh probably I'd say 30 to 40 geese just hanging out and you can hear them all day long warding off the other males of the group that are down there. So they're very vocal this time of year.
0: With geese, you, you tend to hunt geese more over land versus water, correct? Um. I think it's about fifty-fifty
1: split on that. Really? Yeah. I think different days are better. Um, lake days for geese. Um, different days are better. Field day for geese and
0: waterfowl in general. Explain me. Explain this to me. And I've, I've the last several years, I've noticed this out on my hunting property. It's almost like clockwork when I'm out deer hunting, <clears throat> at right at about sunset, to maybe just after. I oh, I mean, it's almost like every single day, there is a flock of Canadian geese that fly over the exact, almost the exact same time the exact same flight path in the same, same spot. Why is that? Mm-hmm. Why is that?
1: They're creatures of habit, just like we are. Um, as long as they don't get disturbed. And that disturbing is as simple as hunting pressure or There's predators out there that feed on ducks and geese in the fields too, just, you know, your coyotes are one of them. Um, So they're creatures of habit to a point. So let me give you an example. On those days that you see the birds fly over every day, or the day that you're out in the field, and they're going out for their, let's say it's dinner time, their dinner time. Um, those birds back to the water to roost, because that's where they're the safest, is out in the water. So after they get done eating, they'll go back out or go back to water. If you have a clear night with, uh, with moonlight, those birds, birds might go back out in the middle of the night to a field and feed again. So then that that screws up your patterning, and we talked about earlier about scouting to be successful, Um, that will screw up your pattern that you pattern these birds with, because now they're on a different eating schedule.
0: Crazy. So are you still with me, Randy? Yeah. Okay. So let's get back to the calls because this is one of the – half the reason why I wanted you on here is because I, I follow you not only on Facebook but on Instagram. And, and on your Instagram page, you are always posting pictures of duck calls. And I'm like, what the hell is Randy doing? Why? What's, you know, well, then it just dawned on me. It's like, hell, he's making these things. You're, you're making your own (laughs) duck calls. What, what, how long have you been doing that? And what, what inspired you to? Um, I've been actively selling the duck
1: and goose calls since. Oh, nine. So 12 years, no, 14 years. Wow. Okay. Yeah, for, um,
0: forgive our we'll sea math.
1: Yeah, no joke. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what got me into it was I was about ready to go on a duck hunting trip to Saginaw Bay, which is up in the thumb of Michigan. Yep. And I lived in Michigan for, at that time. Oh. So, I'm, I was always used to hunting small water, and now I'm going to go up and hunt water you can't see across. So I said, well, I'm gonna go buy me a a loud duck call. So I went to Lunkers, which is no longer there anymore.
0: That's a pot shop. Yeah, as every, as, as every <laughs> other building in Michigan now, right? Um, so I went in there
1: and they had a Rich and Tone original, um, in which was their open water call, but it wasn't their main, main street duck call, which is the main street duck call I'm referring to is what they use for the, uh, world championship duck calling contest, but it was a, a very loud call. So I bought it. Then I started studying this thing. I don't know why I studied this one more than I did my other duck calls that I already have. Because I'd been hunting that by that time a good 15 15 years of my life. And so I'm thinking to myself, "Hmm, I can make this cheaper than what I bought it for. Well, to a degree, that is correct. (laughs) But the R&D part of it was very expensive. <laughs> <laughs> because I didn't do anything the easy way. So, uh, I used expensive materials when I did my, my R&D, trying to get something that sounded like a duck. Um, so, I spent a lot of time and a lot of effort developing a duck call. First of all, that sounded like a duck. And then refining that process so that was it was easier to operate to the point where I am right now. And even at the point where I'm at right now, which I believe I've uh, – I, I make a very, very, very good custom-made duck call, but there's always room for improvement. So, if you stop learning when you're a call maker,
0: everybody else is going to pass you by. So, what is the name of so, your what is the name of the duck call? Since you say you are selling them, Let, let's promote these things. Well,
1: well my my company name is Cold Front Calls. And the reason why I named my company the way I did is because in the fall, ducks migrate southward on the tailwinds of a cold front. And what I mean by tailwinds is the north to northwest winds that are associated with the backside of a cold front. So that I, how I that I understand that I
0: understand as a deer hunter.
1: Yes. So, they do that to conserve energy when they're flying. The birds can travel hundreds of miles any given day or night um, when the, they got a tailwind.
0: They're kind of getting in the like the NASCAR draft. That's
1: exactly, that's exactly what it is. Yep. Um. So when I started naming my calls, um, they have some sort of weather-related name to them. Um, The first duck call I came out with, I named, was the uh, downdraft. That's a weather term. Um, The next one I came out with was a blizzard. Um, next duck call I came out with was, uh, overcast. The only duck call that doesn't, or only call that I made so far that doesn't have a weather related name is, um, my sweet 16 duck call.
0: (laughs) Um, Please don't name it after your wife.
1: (laughs) No, no, my wife's not 16 years old. Thank you very much. (laughs) um it's after a shotgun and it was not a browning browning is the true sweet but my dad's first shotgun that he got from his dad was a remington 16 gauge and it's my absolute favorite gun for everything that i've ever hunted rabbits pheasants, quail, ducks. Um, so I made that one, base, named that one basically after the gun that I got from my dad. Nice.
0: Yep. And cold front calls. Where can people go to buy these? Um, I
1: don't have a website anymore because quite frankly, I was getting more Um, hits on my Facebook page and I don't mass produce these so um, I like to talk to my customers so if they get a hold of me on Facebook um, they can either message me directly or through my Facebook page of cold front calls Um, and I can get to know what kind of materials um, the, the customers looking to have their call made out of and how they want it to run. So I, I like that personal interaction with my, my, uh, my customers to get to know more about their hunting situation. Um, in fact, I was literally just talking to a guy from Nebraska right before you called me, Rob. Um, I sent him a sweet 16 duck call and they liked it so much that the guy that he bought the sweet 16 duck call for wants a goose call. So they had a bunch of questions and I had a bunch of questions myself so that I can get them the right call that fits them and their hunting situation.
0: That's freaking awesome. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. I mean, on both sides. I mean for you to just for for the the crafter and, and making that, but to have that personal touch and for you to interact with each customer individually and uniquely and for that for the for the buyer to have literally a call custom made for you, you can't you can't find that hardly anywhere. That that's that's for now that I did not know. That's that's freaking awesome. I love that. Yeah. Thank you. Do you make deer calls? Can you make me a can you make me a grunt call? Because I am addicted to grunt calls. I will buy at least two every year, and normally I throw them in the trash. <laughs>
1: um, I, that's one thing I've thought about tinkering with.
0: Seriously, I was um, joking, but you're being serious.
1: I am. Yes. Um, I have tinkered around with the idea of trying to make a grunt call, and when I do. Do it um, again, it'll be as custom as my as my duck calls
0: well, I think the one thing that so, i' I'm learning over the years from the call from a grunt call standpoint is that it always used to be you always wanted to get the deepest badass sounding you know call out there that just sounded badass, but then when you get out there and you get in the woods you're mimicking a rather pretty much you're, you're with that. You're, you're pretty much mimicking the alpha buck in the woods. And so nine, 90 times out of a hundred, you're probably going to deter the buck. He's going to turn the opposite direction because he don't want no business with you to where I've learned in the recent years to start mimicking younger bucks, whether it's from a calling standpoint or a decoy standpoint, um, even though it may not sound all that manly, but it's sure the hell is a lot more effective. So I guess my, my only, if you're wanting to get into that, of course, if you're going to talk to each and every customer, but you know, definitely more towards the, the, the younger, lighter tone calls. Well, I'm glad you said that because that makes total
1: sense to me. Cause I mean, if I'm the dominant buck in the woods, I don't want to hear another dominant buck. Correct. I want to hear some some weakling, some punk ass. And I can go kick his butt.
0: Yes. That that's basically what I'm learning to do is I I want to learn to be some young punk ass that this big dude wants to show me show me some old man strength. As, as I'm getting older, yeah. you know, when we get in our fifties, Randy, like you and I are, we start to learn things from from a different perspective.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> That is for sure. I mean, you. we were just talking about a, a different perspective. You know, you brought up that you're an empty master now. And I'm like, he's two years younger than me, and I still have a 15-year-old and a 13-year-old.
0: Well, it helped. When, perspective It helped when I proposed to my wife when she was in middle school for crying out loud. <laughs> I mean, we literally we literally got married right after she, practically she graduated, got her high school diploma, um, and ironically, we're we're going to be celebrating 30 years this year. That's just that's insane.
1: That's awesome,
0: though. So that is truly awesome. So, cold front calls. Um, you can find that on Facebook. You have a Facebook page called yep. Cold Front Calls, or if not also Randy Sesco at C E S C O. See, I still remember how to spell your name.
1: Yep.
0: One last thing. Not one, an
1: easy one to forget.
0: No. One last thing though, I do want to ask you before we we uh, say goodbye is that again, I'm referencing back to hunting. Like any whitetail hunter, I think if you ask what is like the ultimate dream hunt, I'm gonna majority of like if we can deer hunt anywhere in the country where do we want to go a good chunk of us is going to say man throw me in southeast iowa um that's kind of the mecca Mm -hmm. of whitetail where would be the ultimate fantasy duck hunt for you i've got three of them actually let's hear them um
1: my bucket list is to go to canada um and hunt birds before they even see other bird hunters. The other thing I want to do is I want to go shoot mallards in the, uh, in the timber of Arkansas. And then I would love to go shoot birds in either um, Argentina wow. or New Zealand.
0: That's a trip. Yeah. See, I, I don't even have a desire to leave the country. I just want to go over a few states. I know, right? <laughs>
1: but everybody that I've ever talked to that's gone down to Argentina or uh, New Zealand or something like that, they say it's incredible hunting. And those are mallards? Um, They have different species down south. Yeah. Um, but yeah I mean but it's still buck hunting Um, there are some other I don't really care to shoot many other species now I got some birds that are on my bucket list but all of those are North American birds for me anyways but I mean I've been hunting since I was Junior high, so 13 years old, almost 40 years, um, and I still have not shot a canvas back or a Drake pintail, and those two birds are on my bucket list.
0: Randy, you've talked about your dad a lot. Um, you're a father as well to two beautiful girls have either have your daughters shown any have 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 they participated in it? have you took them out hunting have they got any lust for that or or no they have absolutely none for hunting
1: <laughs> but golf but they absolutely love to go fishing
0: okay well hey i was i here i was thinking they were going to be golfers but yeah that's that's awesome yeah and what's really shocking
1: is that
0: they love to go ice fishing. Where they just say, good Lord.
1: <laughs> I know, right?
0: <laughs> Even if you're not catching them, they, they still enjoy themselves? Yes. That's crazy. It's hard to get yeah. grown adults to do that. I mean, normally when you take a grown adult that's not a traditional fisherman, you know, if, if you're not catching anything within a half hour, they're like, let's go or let's start drinking.
1: <laughs> well, don't get me wrong if the fish aren't biting within the first half hour or so, they do get a little distracted. But they like the fact that, um, you know, the excitement of when they do catch fish, and to be quite honestly, sometimes they catch bigger fish than I do. Um, But they... It's uncanny how how much they like to ice fish. They love to go crappie fishing in the spring. Um, in fact, two years ago, no, yeah, there'll be three years come this summer. They were with me when I caught my largest bass ever. Nice. And, and we're in my fishing boat. And I got a picture of, of my youngest standing next to me and her mouth is so open and in awe of this bass that I caught that she couldn't get a, a line in the water fast enough to try to recatch that fish again after I released it.
0: That's great. That That's to say, that's what that's all about is, is an understatement. That's that is awesome. Really awesome. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Randy, Brother, this has been awesome talking to you. I know we could probably go for another hour, and we'd probably would get so sidetracked and start talking about everything other than hunting. Um, we gotta catch up soon. I know we've been talking about it. We run into each other occasionally uh reuniting at football games from time to time um I'm no longer yeah. i am I'm, st- I'm stepping down from the coaching game, so I plan on uh making s- several more trips uh back home uh to watch the Perfect. green, to watch the green and gold, um, but I would still love to uh, catch up and ho- connect with you, whether it's on a on a lake fishing or, or whatever. We we got to get together, and um, yeah, all my best to you well, and your. We, go ahead.
1: What we need to do is is when you come down for a, a football game, that's next Saturday, we you and I will go duck hunting. Sold. And then. In return,
0: you need to take me turkey hunting so I can shoot a, shoot a uh, tom. Well, let's do that first because turkey season comes before football season, before duck. Well, that's true. Oh, and by the way, just as another quick side note
1: here, I saw a tom in uh, in a field tonight on my way home from work.
0: Strutting. Strutting. Yep. I did the other night too. The other day coming home from work, I went by a field at 1 o'clock in the afternoon and of course it was, I mean, it's been unseasonably warm for this time of year and sure enough, you know, that, and I, yep. I seen it. It's like unbelievable. Just, just yep. hold on. And yeah, what really kills me is that the I'm, I'm going to Key Largo in uh, April and I'm going to miss like oh. the first three or four days of Turkey season. It's driving me insane, but <laughs> I'm going to be in Key Largo. That's not so bad either. That's not so bad. I, I've been there. It's pretty cool. Well, Randy, we will stay in touch. Give your best to your lovely wife. Uh have, do me a favor, have her sing you the Milford Trojan fight song for me. Um us Milford Us Milford Trojans have got to stick together. That's right. What a, what a small world. It's it's great how you two um how you two met and, and ended up together. That's awesome. So I Yeah, I, thank I re- you very much. I really enjoyed it. How long have you guys been married now?
1: Uh, we celebrated our one year anniversary in November.
0: I knew it was, I, yeah, that's, I knew it wasn't that long, but that's awesome that you guys found each other. And, um, to see one of my closest friends from high school, um, marry a a gal that, that I went to, that I basically went all the way through school with. She was a year older than me, but that's awesome. And our, and our moms worked, our, both of our mothers worked together at the middle school. So that, that's that's awesome. So please give her my best and we definitely got to catch up soon. Thank you so much, Randy. Once again, cold front calls, look them up on Facebook um, and and give Randy a shout today that that is an awesome service that you're doing and um, best of luck to that. Well, thank you, Rob, very much for having me on. And I
1: really enjoyed it, obviously uh, getting it back in, in contact with you and and rekindling uh, some old memories. Absolutely. Thank you so much.
0: We'll be in touch. All right, man. Thank you. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Bye. That is Randy, my dear friend, uh, from back in the day. Great podcast. Once again, Cold Front Calls. Um, and if you can't find that, his name is Randy Sesco, C-E-S-C-O. Just a great guy. So we want to thank you guys uh, for listening. And uh, stay tuned. we got more podcasts lined up. We're going to be uh, talking uh, snow ge- geese hunting uh, with my good buddy, Jared. Um, we're also going to have a segment of, about snowmobiling um, with a, a gentleman here in Michigan who just took a, a weeks-long snowmobile trip up into the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. We've got that coming up here in the next couple days. And then uh, we will also have our February edition of Whitetail U!, Um, That will be coming up next week as well. So thanks for listening, everybody. And don't forget, get outdoors. So long. We would like to hear from you as the listener. If you would like one of our podcasts dedicated to a certain outdoor subject or to share your favorite outdoor experience, either as a guest on a show or post on our social media page, you can do all of the above by reaching us on Facebook at Outdoor U. Thanks for listening.